welcome back to series three of the Huxley Morton podcast, the show where each week we speak to pharma company owners and industry leaders sharing their stories of personal and professional growth. In this series, we've got loads of exciting guests coming up for you, a brand new co-host for various episodes, and a quick fire round to really mix things up. I'm definitely excited to get going with it all, but before we do, I'd love it if you could subscribe and hit that notification button so that you're not missing out on any of the episodes that we upload. For now, thanks again for tuning in and sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Huxley Morton podcast, the show where each week we speak to pharma company owners and industry leaders who have each given up some of their time to discuss their personal and professional journeys. This week, I am joined by Ian White, uh, who is the founder and chief scientific officer at Neobiosis. Um, Ian, I think I first came across uh, yourself uh, via LinkedIn. I had noticed that you were... Perhaps a fellow fellow countryman of my own, having been to university in Liverpool. Um, so look, I've given you a very quick introduction there, but give us a, a quick snapshot of, of who you are um, and Neobiosis. Okay. Well, first, thanks for the opportunity to talk with you guys. I'm uh, looking forward to a conversation about um, science, life, and everything. I guess <laughs> we'll see where it goes. Um, so I've been in the states now for over 20 years. Um, I was born in Oxford, England. I grew up uh, in the RAF. My dad was uh, um, uh, in the RAF and we traveled around quite a lot to different bases. Um, I was subjected to uh, the American way of life, living on a British American base when I was very young and uh, really sort of fell in love with um, the smells and tastes and looks of things that were American. You know, I, I remember as a kid, looking at uh, quarters and thinking they were so in incredibly interesting looking. And um, in fact, we used to switch them out with 10 P's at the, uh, uh, at the arcade because you would be able to get a, a cheaper run on the arcade for a quarter instead of 10 P at the time. Um, but I remember, you know, the, um, the, the grape flavored um, chewing gum and all those things. And so I think from a very early age, I was very interested in um, coming over to the United States and um, after uh, my uh, schooling in the south of England, I went up to Liverpool University, uh, Liverpool John Moores initially for my undergrad, and then Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine for my master's degree in parasitology. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there, I was invited to the United States originally for one year. I was planning to come over for one year as a research assistant. Um, that turned into an additional two years when I got offered a fellowship at Harvard. Um, and then um, I decided that this is where I wanted to do my PhD. And so I applied uh, to Cornell University based on uh, the environment, really, the, the location. It was a beautiful place to study. Um, and I, I was accepted as an international student. And sort of the rest is history. I spent uh, 20 years in academia. And then recently, I sort of made the jump into uh, biotech. Wow. An incredible story there. And I, I have to say, um, you know, it's not so often that you come across a doctor and chief scientific officer with a background in, in scamming between 10 P's and, and quarters. But um, <laughs> hey, hey, there we go. Some, some of the things that we unravel on the podcast are always interesting. Um, so look, I guess that's that's a quick overview of yourself. Neobiosis, I noticed that you, you guys only started October 2020. Um, so what, what, what's, what, the what is the company all about? Where did the name come from? What does the company do? Yeah. So uh, when I was a, a postdoc, it was very hard. Living in Miami is very expensive. Uh, you don't get paid very much as a postdoc. So 
with two kids, it became very challenging just to pay the bills. And um, I had gone to a, a meeting, the World Stem Cell Summit, which is actually live um, today. Uh, it's uh, virtual this year, but it's actually live right now. Mm. Um, and that, at that meeting, I, I met lots of different people in biotech who were having a lot of success translating the sort of research that I was doing. And so I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm pretty well trained. I'm, I have a pretty good idea how to do this stuff. Um, maybe there's an opportunity for me to uh, transition. And so mm -hmm. I made some products that others uh, make and sell in the industry of regenerative medicine. Uh, yeah. I sent them to third-party laboratories for testing, and they came back uh, incredibly potent um, and much more so than some of the companies that were doing a million dollars a month in revenue. Uh, and so at that point, I decided to jump ship. Um, and I, I, I initially didn't have where, anywhere to go. So I advised several companies how to get started and help, help them build their, uh, their laboratories up and their manufacturing facilities. Mm -hmm. um, wasn't very happy with the direction they were taking things. So uh, my business partner and I started Neobiosis, uh, talking about Neobiosis in March last year, right as COVID kicked off. Yeah. And so that became very challenging because then uh, we, we, we couldn't meet up, we couldn't go visit labs, we couldn't recruit uh, investors. Um, so we basically had to do everything under the uh, lockdown and um, it took us a while, but we officially launched the company in July last year. So we're about to have our first year anniversary mm -hmm. and we went operational in October. So we've only actually been op operational for a few months um, but we became revenue positive within the first uh, three months. And now we're um, in very good shape. We're hiring um, and we've just brought on a new chief medical officer uh, who is Pascal Goldschmidt, who's the Dean Emeritus of the University of Miami Medical School. Mm -hmm. So we're in really great shape as far as our research and developing goes. Um, as far as what we do here, we perform the research behind regenerative medicine. So Regenerative medicine is a relatively new field um, in, in space. Uh, and there's a lot of confusion in this area because so few people are actually trained in regenerative medicine. Mm -hmm. And so I leverage my 20 years studying stem cells, studying regenerative medicine uh, with Dr. Goldschmidt and our, the rest of our team. And we study the, the mechanisms behind regenerative medicine and we manufacture products from perinatal tissues. So the tissues that are usually thrown away after birth, like the cord, the cord blood, placenta, mm -hmm. amniotic fluid. And we, we derive products from those that can be used in clinical trials. Um, and in fact, we're about to submit our first IND, which is an investigation on new drug application with the FDA mm -hmm. for a clinical trial to treat post-COVID syndrome with one of these products. Wow. So it's been a, a bit of a whirlwind um, for you guys over the last uh I guess, yeah, 18 months or certainly since October uh, last year. Um, so it's regenerative uh, medicine. Um, <laughs> you guys are, are now going and trying to get into the first stages of, of your clinical trials. Um, how, how did this come about? So that, that's what you, the, the company is, is now focused. Uh, and look, this is where I always like to kind of start off, off the show is, you know, if you were to go back in time, that you mentioned about your upbringing with your dad in the RAF, traveling, um, heading over to the States. Was this something that was always 
an interest to yourself because I, I now see a lot of it publicized through LinkedIn and just various blogs that I read online and the regenerative uh, medicine side of things is often linked to sports people so it catches my eye and I think that was one of your posts that, that grabbed me in anything that's sports related I'm like what's going on here um you know did you always want to go down this route how did you first even get into the world of science and, and potentially clinical trials yeah, well, the, the answer to that isn't quite straightforward. It's a little bit convoluted because, uh, of course, I was at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine because I was fascinated by how um, parasites interact with the, the human body and specifically the immune system. And so I thought my career trajectory would be down that road, um, studying how um, we're able to treat parasitic infections and how to understand the relationship, how parasites communicate with the body, these sort of things I found very, very interesting. Um, and in fact, um, as a sort of side note, uh, the reason, one of the reasons I got into parasitology at the, at the beginning was because I read some books by the author Robert Desowitz. Uh, and he wrote books like uh, Malaria Capers and Who Gave Pinta to the Santa Maria. And they're, they're scientific novels. So they're very, very entertaining, but very, very scientific. And those really inspired me down the route of uh, regenerative, uh, sorry, of uh, parasitology. And just as luck would have it, um, years later, you know, after coming to the United States because of parasitology and pursuing that, um, I ended up taking some screenwriting writing classes because I'm really interested in movie making and, and screenwriting. Are and my, my screenwriting teacher was Robert Desowitz's uh, daughter. So a uh, very strange coincidence, um, sort of that was a side note, um, but I thought that was, uh, that was a, it was a very interesting trajectory of like sort of how uh, I got here and everything. But um, so I always thought parasitology was the way forward. Um, I came to the United States to work at Dartmouth College to mm. study C. elegans, which is a model for studying parasitic nematodes. Um, and then, of course, the idea was once I had the knowledge of parasites, I was going to marry that with the knowledge of immunology. And I got offered a fellowship at Harvard for two years to study uh, immunology and, immun and hematopoietic stem cells. And that was a great opportunity. You know, I I, I used that opportunity as best I could. I, I worked long hours. I, I, I was at least 18 hours a day in the lab, you know, sleeping yeah. on the couch in the, uh, in the kitchen, um, taking showers in the animal facility so I could just make the most of the experience. Um, and I really developed a love then for the hematopoietic system, the, where the blood comes from, the immune system. And of course, when you start to study that, you have to come back to the origins, which are stem cells. And so I really developed then uh, a passion for stem cells. Um, I did a PhD at Cornell University at the Ansari Stem Cell Institute, Institute within the Division of Regenerative Medicine. And you know things just sort of kept evolving from there, studying stem cells and then studying how stem cells were differentiated to become regenerative cells and contribute to re um, tissue regeneration. Mm -hmm. And I um, realized that this was where I really had a passion. And that's when I pursued um, this area as a postdoc, um, two different postdocs, one at the University of Georgia and the second at the University of Miami. Um, but things got very tough for me, you know, as a, as a postdoc, it was very hard to get promoted to faculty because you're caught in a catch-22. If you don't have a grant, you can't get a faculty position and without a faculty position, you can't get a grant. So I was sort of um, stuck and I considered all kinds of things. You know, at that time I was thinking maybe screenwriting, I even thought about construction because there's so much construction in Miami. Maybe I'll just go into construction because maybe science wasn't the career for me because I just couldn't um, progress. Um, and then suddenly the field of regenerative medicine really sort of exploded. And then I realized that I was incredibly qualified. I had spent 20 years 
studying these mechanisms in regenerative medicine. And most people uh, that commercialize these sorts of products in this industry uh, aren't particularly trained in this area. And so uh, there was a niche suddenly. And so I jumped into the niche and uh, thankfully um, I've been very successful since. Wow. That is, I guess, a long road that you've followed there, Ian. And um, yeah, clearly if you were almost sleeping in the lab, sleeping in the office, there, the, the, the passion has to have, have, have been there. Um, and I know the way you can get through is to be passionate about it. And I, I hear this a lot from, from people that come on the show and just in, in general, I think Adam does too. I know that he also listens to a lot of, a lot of podcasts and, and things and hearing people talking about passion. Where, where was it that yours perhaps come from? I, obviously there was, you know, the, the line of studies that you were following, but there yeah. must be something perhaps, what I, I guess personality traits, characteristics allowed you to actually do that because there's, there's tons of people that are passionate about stuff. Um, yeah. Often it can get confused with, with being hot-headed or other, I guess, characteristics. But you managed to clearly channel that in the right way. So what do you think it is about, about you, Ian, that allowed you to almost go through those tough times mm. knowing that it, it really was genuine passion, that? Yeah, well, I don't know if I knew at the time that the tough times were going to get any better. Um, they seemed pretty dark for a lot of the time because I was working very hard and I didn't seem to be getting anywhere. Mm. Um, you know, even as a postdoc, um, it would be very hard for me to communicate my science uh, to my, my peers and my mentors because they just didn't seem to get it. Um, thankfully, later on, those, those, that research ended up winning awards um, and getting published. And, you know, that's sort of been the springboard to my career. But um, I think that when I was younger, moving around in the Air Force, may have helped because every year or two after making friends, you're then torn apart from your friends and you're put into a new position and you have to adapt. You have to learn to be friendly. You have to learn to be um, approachable. Uh, you have to learn to work hard and start over. And so I think maybe you know, that sort of helped at the very beginning. Um, you know, it, As I got older, it was very hard to make friends because um, I'm so used to having friends for a year or two years and then moving on. And so as I got older, um, it was, you know, pretty lonely, I guess. So I was able to throw myself into, into work quite, quite a lot. And wow. then as friends did come along, I really cherished that. And I really worked hard at those friendships and mm -hmm. made them work. Um, so I think maybe, you know, as things evolved that way, I just was in a position where I needed that kind of connection with, with friends. Um, I worked really hard once they were available and that, ability to interact with people has been um, invaluable when it comes to running a business because you have to be relatively likable. I think I'm relatively likable and you have to give people attention. You have to um, be, you know, you have to do fun things together. You know, it's very important. You can't just do business and, and bark orders. There has to be a level of um, fun because we're only here once, you know, we've, we're working hard, but we've got to have a good time doing it. So I, I think all of that together perhaps has really contributed to the success. It, it's really interesting the way you describe that, Ian. Um, it sounds like you have resilience deep in your bones, but also more importantly, there's this entrepreneurial spirit that drives through you, which is quite unique in, in the science field and in, in, in medicine generally, I find. I mean, I, I, I work alongside many, many similarly qualified people as yourself, and yet they don't have that 
inner drive and entrepreneurial spirit they accept the things that you weren't willing to accept by the sounds of it the yeah. the status quo within yeah. academia particularly and you know the confines within which you've you've had to not just achieve but overcome in yeah. within those particular boundaries that other people set for you and not accepting that and furthermore taking that forward and reinventing not just your skill set but more importantly your your value to the industry beyond which academia can support yeah i think i just try to make the world um uh, it sounds a little arrogant or maybe um, a little cliche but i try to make the world a little bit of a better place you know even when i was younger um you know i i, I wouldn't accept the status quo you know i wrote to george lucas when i was a kid asking if i could uh, you know come and work for him uh, he never wrote back um but you know i would make models uh for masks and you know i really was interested in um special effects um, you know, I would write treasure maps and I would put them in bottles and bury them in the ground in the hopes that maybe somebody would find them and think it was something exciting to do. And in, in fact, there's a, a thing here called uh, geocaching in the United States. I'm not sure if it's over there or not, but um, I would I would devise um, oh, treasure maps well, well, for people online. For and, us, the the geo, geocache side of things, just uh, for, for our audience, what, 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 what does that involve? So geocaching is an online platform where people will just hide things randomly and then on the website describe either the coordinates or a location and then people just go and find them. It's like little treasure modern, hunts. Modern day treasure hunt. Uh, yeah, so it could be anything like a little matchbox with a little note in it hidden under a lamppost or something like that. Or it could be as complicated as mine. Um, and I had multi steps where they had to actually figure out puzzles and travel through town seeing historical sites and putting together the clues in order to get to the end. Um, and there was a book in a library that I put there with uh, notes in it that, that people could sign and everything. So I went all out and it got very popular on uh, on uh, the geocaching website. It was called uh, National Treasure um, after the movies. The way <laughs> the way you're describing that. So not only am I hearing scientist and medic, I'm hearing entrepreneur and also a, a very highly creative mind. You have a very creative mind, don't you? Yeah, well, I wrote, um, you know, after taking screenwriting uh, writing classes, I wrote a full feature length uh, sci-fi movie and I submitted it to a bunch of um, uh, studios and uh, wow. uh, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, the, uh, the movie festivals, the film festivals. Mm. And uh, it, I, I didn't win any, but I did place in several of them um, in Hollywood and other places with the, with the script. Um, so that was really exciting. But you know, I, I am pretty creative. Um, during my PhD, uh, instead of going out drinking every night, which you know I did my fair share of drinking during my PhD, <laughs> but I would use the computers in the lab uh, to invent. So I'm an inventor as well, and I invented a fly fishing device. Um, and um, I found a, a prototyper. I made prototypes. Um, I had to source a material in China. I found a manufacturer in China. I found a way to import it. And I started selling it in the United States. I had Orvis, Cabela's, L.L. Bean, um, all these places. And it won an award in uh, Field and Stream, actually. It's a little device for storing waste fishing line. Um, wow. You, you, you're, 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 being, you're being extremely um, candid around the broad skills that you have. But it seems like we're getting to the, to the root of it, James, doesn't it? You know, th it's, there is far more to Ian than meets the eye. Oh, and and, the story and, and far, more, far more strands that connect the dots. <laughs> in this great brain of yours, Ian? Well, really, it was, um, it's just a case of learning, right? So when I started that company, I had no idea how to render art. I had no idea how to film a, a video or edit. I had to learn editing software. 
Mm. I had no idea how to communicate with China. Um, you know, I had to learn all these things. And so I just ground it out. I, and it was, it was so entertaining to see the final product, the finished product. Um, you know, I, I started a company called Grasshopper Outdoor Products for my inventions. And I just sold it recently. Uh, I think it's still out there uh, right now. I sold it to a European company. But, you know, you, you, you're not born with these skills. You have to learn them. And so you just either are interested in accumulating those skills or you're not. And I was just lucky enough that I found those things interesting. And that's what kept motivating me. I, I, I hear this a lot. You know, people, learners like to learn. And the more you acquire knowledge and the more you challenge yourself, the greater your ability to open up doors that weren't previously open to you. And by the sounds of it, what you described is you had a curious mind and you followed your interests, your passions, wherever that might have taken you. It sounds like you're open to risk and you you know, we've, we've, we've touched on the creative side of it as well, but you know, yeah. you're, you're an open mind. It's clearly, you're very open-minded. You, you're you not have to be, constricted. You, ha you have to be just to enjoy being alive. You know, you sitting at home watching TV isn't healthy for anybody. You know, when I, when I graduated from university, the first thing I did was I hiked from John O'Groats to Glasgow, um, you know, with, uh, with two friends, we just put backpacks on, we got a train up to John O'Groats and we started walking. It took three weeks. Um, with all our food and everything we needed. The first day we, we did get, we, we got so far, we could still see the starting point. <laughs> we did. And then, you know, by the end, we were doing 30 miles a day. So you just got to learn how to do it. You learn where to sleep, how to sleep, how to walk, um, but you just got to do it. If you don't do it, you never learn. So it's just a case of jumping in and doing it. That's really the, the lesson so, I learned. So I, I, I've been to John O'Groats. I know how far north it is. And I've got some friends who live um, north of Inverness. I didn't realize until I went and visited them that it was four hours to Edinburgh from Inverness <laughs> by car down a yeah. single lane. So yeah. I know it's a heck of a long way. And I've also yeah. followed that North Coast route up to John O'Groats. So I know how wild that is as well. So <laughs> fair play and kudos to you for, for having done that on foot. It was definitely a learning experience. Yeah, I, I bet. And I think a lot of what you've described there, I love the sound of it in terms of the storytelling when you were um, sort of going through and it ended up in a library with uh, the book there. And you mentioned National Treasure. That's the film with Nicolas Cage, I believe. Yeah. I was, yeah, as you were telling that, I was honestly, I was thinking of that thing and they've got like the pendants that uh, they yeah, that's exactly what I did. I, drew, I, got a, I got a gold doubloon uh, uh, and I drilled holes in it. I actually got a guy to do it for me and then I scuffed it all up to make it look old. And then you would hold that over a $2 bill to see the letters that would then like sort of lead to the next code and everything like that. So I put a lot of work into it. And if you go, if you go to the website, there's still feedback from people that are just like, what, how did you do this? Wow. That is <laughs> love reading that feedback. <laughs> Along the way, it sounds as though I, I've just read a, a book called The Obstacle is the Way. And I think it, you almost epitomize what that book is about that any obstacles that have come your way you've not necessarily seen them and given up or said no this isn't for me you've actually knew whatever hardship or challenges have been put in front of you to mold the, the type of person you are to you know allow you to you know build relationships and, and, and kind of almost move on and, and reinvent yourself several times over and then put that into the business perspective as well to now do what you're doing, even with the, you know, the international operations that you mentioned, you know, with China um, and the international conferences that you're involved with. So it's, it's, yeah, a fascinating story as to, to how you've got here. And then um, a man of many talents, isn't he, Adam? 
Oh, well, I'm, I'm absolutely blown away. I had absolutely <laughs> no idea when I saw your profile first, Ian, that you were as, as not as diverse, but as, as broadly skilled. And, and I think also earlier you mentioned about, you know, having, having fortuitous, serendipitous type conversations or situations. I actually feel very strongly and having listened and spoken to many people about this, we all create our own luck and actually seeing those things as opportunities as opposed to closed doors, mm. you know, wondering what's behind that open, uh, the closed door is really the inquisitive mind. You know, it's an inquisitive mind that opens that, it's open to change. And where you see change, you see opportunity, it's clear. And I think, my, I think we're very closely aligned around that. One of my favorite quotes is, fortune favors the prepared mind. Yeah. So we do make our own luck, but you've got to be prepared to accept it and do something with it. But also see it as a, see it as a flag, an opportunity. So I, I know Matthew McConaughey, he's written a book recently called Green Lights. He talks yeah, about green lights. Really, it's the same principle, isn't it? That's what we're talking about. It's seeing an opportunity and not seeing it as a red, it's a green. You don't know where that green light's gonna go, but you want more and more of those green lights and more of those opportunities for opening doors and see where those opportunities take you. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, when I was younger, you sort of can't see the wood for the tree sort of thing. You know, there's so many doors, um, you just, you either don't feel the confidence to open them or you just don't recognize them for what they are. And now that I'm older, I'm just pushing on walls to see if they're doors, you know? <laughs> you I know, thought that was just me, but actually you're absolutely right. And I don't know whether that comes with with confidence or or indeed just a little bit more life wisdom and life experience that actually you just want to push against and lean into opportunities and see where they go. Yeah. It's that kind yeah. of, it, it's the opportunity for change that where you grow, isn't it? And, and yeah. we come back to this point, it's leaning into those opportunities, seeing them not necessarily as a roadblock, but yeah. something yeah. else. I, I was invited to give a, a student seminar at Cornell uh, just a few weeks ago on, on Zoom. And um, one of the things they asked me was what is the, the, the best advice I can give them. And the best advice I gave them was to network because networking can be very intimidating, especially when you're a student, because to be honest, people don't really want to talk to students. Um, you know, you're sort of, you know, you, you kind of get in the way there's so many of them and you know it, it's very hard for professors and others to talk to the students and so i told them you know find another way in don't just approach and say hi i'm student what's up you know here's uh here's, an, here's the same old spiel that you've heard before mm. buy them a drink at the bar you know offer to to take them for dinner or do something different like push in a different direction but don't be afraid to do it because people inherently are relatively social they do like to talk about you know high level things and interesting topics so blow them away with a conversation about something they're not expecting um and then get a seat at the table you know you, you've just got to try and you've just got to be confident enough um to to be rejected and you're going to be rejected a million times um, before anything happens but um don't take the rejection as a failure um, take it as another opportunity to try a different way or try a different person uh, you mentioned serendipity uh, we almost called our company serendipity because there's so much serendipity involved in what we do. We always meet the right person at the right time. The right opportunity comes around. Um, everything just seems to fall into place when you open yourself up to the universe and just listen and let it happen. And that's the point. That's absolutely the point that you've made there. I, I have experienced that firsthand. What you put out in whichever channels or platforms or however you put it out, it will come back to you. And I, I firmly believe that. And I'm experiencing something similar to what you're describing. Um, I've also been doing some work with my um, 
my university alumni as well. And I've been mentoring a, a student there for the last six months. And we've had a very similar conversation. I've worked with him. And honestly, it could have been the similar, almost a similar conversation. And two weeks ago, I presented to the alumni as a result of um, that experience and, and the student mentorship program. And, and there were some key questions, you know, how do I open those doors? How do I get myself differentiating from everyone? Because everyone's got top grades. Everyone's got the masters. They're all, they've all done their research. We came up with this great idea around writing a white paper together. You know, what's been the impact of COVID over the last year to medical technologies, to opening routes of opportunity? We would never be having this conversation today had it not been for some of the challenges that we've had in this last year. And people are far more open to those communication channels than they ever have been before. Yeah, I, I literally told them that also. That's a great piece of advice. I, I said, you know, what are you doing uh, this evening? Are you watching TV? Are you, what are you doing? Write a paper, write a review article, write something and publish it in your own words. And, you know, there are open um, access journals right now where you can publish things that are a lot faster. You know, I published a paper on COVID right as COVID hit because um, I was researching COVID incredibly um, uh, um, when it first um, hit. I was learning a lot about it staying up nights, just studying, studying. So I wrote a paper, you know, first author, only author, um, and they can do that too. And that's the only way you can pull yourself apart from the masses is to demonstrate that you have something to say. And so, what, and what's you your differentiator? What makes you different? What makes, their, what makes anyone pay attention to you as opposed to anyone else? And that's the thing, because there are many, many identikit students coming out of universities, you know, graduates and postgraduates coming out of university. It's, it's the sorts of things that you've described around, you know, that scientific integrity and interest in what you're doing, the deep dive and the so what. It's always about the so what. It's not yeah. the what, it's the so what. Yeah. yeah but, so an, another piece of advice I give them and I give my, uh, my employees and I, you know, constantly have to remind myself when I'm presenting, because I present a lot in, in this field, I, I try not to stick with the, the typical academic presentation, which is, here's the introduction, here's all the data, and here's my conclusion. Mm. I try to sort of um, base it more on, on like a TED talk, where it's more of a narrative. I build up the excitement and I tell, some things, I tell them something they haven't necessarily thought about before in a way they haven't really thought about it. And then they're engaged and they listen, and then I can communicate some of my novel ideas to them. And I find they listen better rather than just glazing over um, you know, it's a really important. Um, it's really important to bring a, a, a personal um, spin on these kinds of presentations. Show what you can do, but show it in a way that people will engage with. You know, it's it's very important to stand up, stand apart from everybody else in this uh, very competitive field. Definitely, and I think you're spot on there. The, the key word for me is engagement. Um, so we, I mean, we're a recruitment business. We speak to thousands of, of you know job seekers each year, and it's not necessarily the best on paper um, or technically qualified that are the ones that stand out to us. It's the ones who engage, communicate, yeah. um, and almost, you know, leverage their own network to an extent or, re yeah. or reach out and, and just be a little bit different because essentially we're all the same. We, we like actually helping people so yeah. long as it's, you know, obviously I'm not going to go writing people's resumes and, and things like this, but if someone needs a little bit of advice and, and they reach out, of course, look, yeah. as human beings, we're inclined to, to want to help. Um, yeah. And it sounds as though you, you know, embrace that with the, the talks you give, you know, the advice that you give to, to people. And naturally that must be sort of 
spilling over into to you guys as a, as a business. Um, so look, I, I guess to get back on on track and um, give us an update of, of how things are, are going. Um, where where's 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 Neobiosis sitting at the moment? So you're kind of not quite a, a year in since official launch launch time. Um, you mentioned that you were you know about to start to perhaps get into submission stage for, for trials. Give us a snapshot of, of what's going on, uh, Ian. Okay, well, we closed our seed raise. So we raised $1.2 million um, to, to, get, to, to get us started. Mm. Uh, with that money, we were able to establish a lab here. I'm at the Sid Martin um, uh, Biotech uh, Institute in Alachua right now, which is the number one biotech incubator in the world currently, actually. So we're very lucky uh, to have a space here. So I have my office here. We, um, we have our research and development lab here. Nice. Uh, we also have a manufacturing facility in downtown Gainesville, um, also at the uh, Innovate Hub, um, where we do our manufacturing. But we're about to finish a new lab right next door, which is exclusively going to be ours. It's our building. Mm. Um, we're going to be opening that at the end of uh, July for manufacturing. It's ISO 7 CGMP compliant clean room for helping others with clinical trials and helping us with our clinical trials as well. We need more, we need more space. Um, but we're raising capital now for our clinical trials. So we're going to have to raise between 15 and $20 million in order to, to do our COVID clinical trial. So mm -hmm. we're looking for partners that are interested in getting involved uh, with that. Um, but the FDA right now are um, undergoing some changes. They're undergoing, um, they're, they're putting out new guidelines. So we're having to focus heavily on compliance right now, making sure that we're doing everything by the book with the FDA. Um, so we're looking for help with that. We're looking to hire new um, regulatory compliance experts and things like that. So we're we're sort of we're a bit slow right now, just because there's so much compliance and regulation that we have to adhere to. But the plan is to continue growing. We've grown very very fast, uh, very very quickly, uh, very um, uh, very surprisingly. We I, we didn't expect to grow so fast, to be honest. Um, and over the next year, we hope to. Um, open a new lab. Uh, we hope to have our clinical trial underway. We hope to have our applications in for other clinical trials and we're gonna continue raising money. So uh, we hope to be a real leader in the space of regenerative medicine over the next few years. Wow, sounds like certainly exciting times for, for you guys uh, ahead and busy times. Probably there's gonna be a little bit of stress um, put on yourself there, but having heard what you've gone through previously, um, it sounds like you probably handle that weight on your shoulders. Well, the, the, the difference now is I have a family and two kids. Uh, before, when I was on my own, I could I could spend 18 hours a day, you know, working in the lab and sleeping there. And now, you know, I need to try to balance this with uh, being a dad as well. Mm. So can I can I just follow on from that question? It sounds like you have um, very aggressive expansion plans. I'm assuming you have a, a team of good people around you and, and you intend to build that good team around you by the, by the sounds of it. What kind of skills are you looking for in, in, in the types of individuals you're, you're looking to engage with? So we need more scientists, uh, ideally scientists that are like, like me. You know, I, I feel like I really genuinely work outside the box, think outside yep. the box. Um, I you know, have a lot of passion. Passion is critical um, in this space and pretty much any space, I guess. Um, so I'm looking for scientists with passion, with competence, um, and uh, I'm really excited to be involved in a startup because not everybody wants to be involved in a startup because it's an incredible amount of work yes. um, off the bat. You know, working yeah. for an established company, you just sort of, you can turn up, do your work and go home. Can't really do that with a, with a startup. 
um, but we're looking for those kinds of uh, individuals. We're looking for investors that understand our vision and don't want to really impose their vision on us. You know, we we're very we have a fiduciary responsibility to invest the money, and we're very careful with our money. But also, yeah. we want the freedom to do what we think is right in this space. And yeah. so, all the invest you know, we've we've turned down a lot of money uh, because it hasn't been right for our trajectory. But we really are looking for um, uh, partners, investment partners that understand what we're trying to achieve, that we're trying to do it differently than convention with the very unconventional when it comes to what we're doing. Um, and we're looking for compliance help, people that, you know, because we need to work with the FDA, we need to work with lawmakers. I met with the uh, White House uh, staff um, a few months ago, and they were very excited, this is before the transition, very excited about what we're doing in the regenerative medicine field. And so we need to continue working with lawmakers and, and the FDA so that we can together understand how the field of regenerative medicine is growing and what we can do as a company to really push it forward in a safe and effective way. Yeah, I mean, the, the compliance piece, sorry, James, but the, the compliance piece is absolutely critical to any future approvals and making sure that you have that direct line into the FDA is pivotal. And yes. I've worked with a number of companies who have brought in that expertise on a consultancy basis because it's so hard to come by and it's rare that you are likely to be required engaging with that type of individual for a you know for a long period of time but certainly when you need it it's critical and it gets you to the next stage and be over and beyond but also i think it builds an awful lot of credibility with fda and and other regulatory agencies around around the world that we're talking to um so you know i would see that as absolutely being critical to any future success clinical trial related and um you know absolutely around that future critical. plan again that's one of the reasons we were able to bring on uh, Dr. Goldschmidt as our chief medical officer because he has so much experience with clinical trials. Yeah. You know, not only does it demonstrate that we're, this is what we're trying to do, but also then we have now the tools and the resources and the expertise mm. uh, to pull it off. But I, yeah. I would re really recommend if anybody's listening to this that um, are unsure of a career trajectory, go into regulatory science, go understand how biological drugs are manufactured and how uh, the FDA tries to understand how to regulate those because there's a huge gap. Um, there is yes. a, such a huge market for that skill set, and it's very well paid. So if if there are people that are <laughs> unsure which which direction to take their career, seriously consider that because th th that that job is never going away. There's only going to be an increased demand moving forward. I think to reinforce that point, I would concur with you, but also some of the things I said back to the alumni was uh, getting to data, biometrics, yeah. and, and anything to do with medical technology right now, because it's, data as collection. you say, it is absolutely at the sweet spot, isn't it? All of this is around that Marketing magic space. Right now is the time. Booming throughout the industry is absolutely um, booming. And I think one of the things that I picked up on, on there, Ian, is not something I hear overly often, is that you had to turn down some potential investors um that wasn't easy probably not what you thought you would ever be doing when you first started out right especially when we're worried about you know paychecks because you know i, I the last company that i helped build up i left them in march because of you know differences in you know how we wanted to do things um and i that was right when COVID hit and i thought it would be an easy transition into something else mm. and then COVID was here and i spent six months without a paycheck um which is very, very hard. And then, you know, we build up the company and people wanted to put money in, but it wasn't the right fit for us. It was very tempting, you know, wow. my business partner and I, 
um, but it just wasn't right. And it, I, we, we had learned the hard way. We had been involved with others that we would have regretted staying with. Um, and we didn't want to get into that situation again. So knowing where we wanted to go was critical in making the right choices with, with whom we partnered. How did, uh, what was going through your mind? I, I guess, look, for me, um, you know, we're, we're self-funded as, as a business, but for, for anyone in clinical research, I guess the funding and financing is, is critical. Um, you mentioned a moment ago that you've now got family, kids, etc. That must have been just such a, a boggling moment in your, in your brain. What was, what was going on in terms of your thoughts? How did that, that moment make you, make you feel? Is that the biggest challenge you perhaps faced personally since starting the business? Yeah. When I was younger, um, you know, my decisions didn't really affect anybody else. Mm. Uh, so I could take risks. Um, my risk, um, my risk assessment level hasn't really changed. So I'm still taking those risks. Um, I, but now, you know, I, I have more responsibility. And so doing what I've been doing, um, let, let put me in a situation where we were out of money. You know, we, we blew through our savings. Um, we, we live in a very expensive city. We have to pay for the kids to go to school. Uh, you know, I, I, I bought my dream car when I started working because out of, you know, in that, while I'm in academia, you don't make a lot of money. And, you know, I'm 46 now. And, you know, people, uh, my peers had nice cars, nice houses. I, you know, we didn't have a house. We didn't, you know, so I bought it. When I had some money, I bought, you know, my dream car, which is a really nice uh, Jeep. I had to sell it for a third of what I paid for it. Um, you know, just a few months after buying it because uh, we just needed to pay the bills. And these are the things we had to do to put food on the table. And uh, I just had to keep grinding it out every day. I just worked. I didn't know what was going to work out. Um, so I did everything. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I just, I just did everything. I did, there's no other way to say it other than um, you just try everything and something works. It's really it, it, so so impressive and i think it, i'm just now going to go back to what adam was and, and yourself were sort of um, touching on a moment ago is that what you put out will come back and all i'm you know so, from you and, and hearing from you is that you have consistently you know have much more integrity than so many other people that you know I, I come across when speaking to you know both clients and and job seekers um and all i can see for you guys is that it it will, it, it's going to work out, you know, anyone who can actually just say, look, actually, I, I don't need that and have that humility to be like, ditch the car, this is more important. Um, it's just a massive credit to you, I, I think. And um, I think it will come back in, in spades. Well, I James, it reminds that. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say that that's really what I'm experiencing is that, you know, um, the philosophy that I adopted uh, a while ago now was just give it all away. Like give it, just get, you know, the, yourself, you know, your emotion, your time, your energy, um, uh, your intellectual property, you know, not, I'm not talking about patentable stuff, but I'm just talking about when I present, I just give all the information and let people do with it what they will. And then what I find is that all of that has been coming back uh, to us because people appreciate, excuse me, people appreciate you being open and honest and giving and then they want to reciprocate when you hold on to everything when you don't want to share information as we as we did in academia in academia we were scared to share information because if if our competitor took our data and got a grant or published a paper ahead of us you know we call that being scooped then you know, you're, you're toast but when so people aren't scientists and and people in our industry aren't used to having everything given away and so i just sort of adopted that uh, mentality of just 
anything I can do, I'm going to do it. And let's see where the chips fall. And 100% of the time, it seems that all of that energy is coming back magnified. Amazing. So, James, it, it really resonates with, with the story that we had um, very recently with, with Lee Fell from Car Caritas. You know, the principles and the values of the individual it's not it's not the Richard Branson Virgin thing, but it's certainly your principles and values drive your business, drive the external face of the business, but also the principles will come back. And and there are so many common threads that you describe mm. that clearly are in your DNA in every aspect of your life, not just your work, but your personal and your professional and every aspect. And I, I hear some very common threads and it resonates very strongly with me for exactly that reason, because I really do identify with exactly what you're describing, Ian, because it's very clear that, you know, we can all portray one external view, but actually the true self is, is what will ultimately um, come back to find you. And um, I, I, it just really resonated, as I say, you know, we've spoken to a number of people recently and, and there are very common threads coming through in under the bonnet. You know, these are the under the bonnet type questions where... You know, it's what really does make the person tick. What is behind, what is the passion behind that individual? And I think yeah. you've really described that so well today. And Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I have to agree. And I, I kind of almost faced a similar journey in my own business. You know, six months in, I was wondering where where any paycheck was coming from, to be honest. Um, and it was, it was a scary time. And at the time, I, I didn't have uh, any kids. It was just my partner and I. Um, but yeah, as I say, just a, a big credit to how you've uh, handled that. Um, you've already touched on some of the plans for you guys moving forward. So there's um, sort of a, a new lab. Uh, is it a new lab next door uh, as of July? Brand new, brand new labs. We broke ground on it. Well, it was a, an existing building. We had to completely pull it out, uh, rip it out and, and renovate it. Mm. Um, and that's uh, in progress right now to make a, a compliant, a new compliant lab that will be exclusively ours. So that's going to be online next month. And you're planning on, on winning, some, winning some studies, getting, um, getting going with some, some trials. What will that mean to you to, to get that all, all going, uh, Ian? Well, um, you know, I, when I think about it, I get kind of emotional because it's been such a long journey, um, not just the last three years after leaving academia, but everything leading up to it, because really this is just a culmination of everything I've done um, through my whole career and maybe my whole life, I guess. Um, because really all I want to do is do put some good out into the world and I want to help people. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a picture on my wall over there. You, you probably can't see it, but there was, a patient, there was a patient that received some of the products that we manufactured uh, in a clinic um, and we really turned her life around. She was in really bad shape um, and the products uh, helped her. And I have a, a birthday card from her kids written in crayon um, saying, you know, Dr. White, thank you for saving our mummy. And uh, I get emotional whenever I think about that, but that's you know what I'm why I'm doing what I'm doing, and that's why I hope we can pursue the clinical trials uh, to help more people because the products that we're developing are born out of a passion for science, listening to nature, which is very important because nature is really there to help us. We don't have to reinvent anything; it's all right there um, uh, for us. We just have to listen um, and pulling all that together and changing people's lives, improving their lives, improving their quality of life. Um, is really more than I could ever uh, ask for beyond the success, beyond a paycheck. Um, knowing that there are people whose lives are improved because of what I'm doing is really um, the motivation. Amazing. I, I think it's, it's incredible. I can't believe, you know, some of the things that you've been happy to, to share with us uh, here today. Ian. It, it truly is 
I guess, incredible. I think you're one of the most open book people that I've had on, on the show. And just there's so many, so many branches to you in, in terms of <laughs> up to the screenwriting, the, uh, you know, it's just, it's, yeah, it's been incredible hearing about your, your journey and, you know, what you've got sort of coming up. It, it looks like Adam has, has got a, a couple of- Three people. words, three words, you know, I feel like I'm a fan, Ian, but you are amazing. Honestly, you are amazing. What you're doing is amazing every single day. But, you know, how you got to this place is amazing. It's an extraordinary story. It's an extraordinary um, description of, of a life's work because that's what you're describing here. And if, if you're looking for anything for a screenplay, I would say it would probably be your, your life story because <laughs> it sounds great. My goodness me. And, and it's not even, you know... Not even complete. Maybe, yeah. a, maybe like, a chapter two oh, or three. I think, I think there's a few more chapters to come. Yeah, but but that's, you know, when I'm listening, I'm just, you know, the hairs are standing up on the back of my neck, actually. Well, I'll tell you one other thing that just sort of came to mind that was a sort of motivating factor. Um, I've never had a 401k. I've never had a retirement plan. Um, I've purposely not fed money into a retirement plan to light a fire under my ass um, because wow. I, I felt that that was sort of a security blanket and a safety net that I didn't need. I really wanted to sort of be up on the tightrope without a safety net and uh, I needed to succeed um, and you know, and that was sort of just something that came to mind uh, just then that uh, I think is another motivating factor. I'm not, a, I'm not saying that people should throw away their retirement plans. But. That, is, that is really a case of walking the walk and not just you know, saying how to do things, but actually doing it. Living it and doing it. And I think you, you proved that by turning down investors not taking a 401k. There's so many elements of that. So look, I'm certainly excited to see how your journey goes. But before we close the show, uh, I think Adam summed you up with, with three, three words, which is amazing. <laughs> you can quote me on that if you want, Ian. <laughs> I, I'm absolutely fine to put that on your website, by the way. Yeah, he might charge you, he might. <laughs> um, but look, th three words sums you up very well. But look, um, for our, our audience, we've now got five questions, quick fire questions for you uh, to get some of your, your insights. Um, so look, <sighs> I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering where these are going to go. I'm excited to hear these. Look, what is the, the number one piece of advice that you would give to your, your, your younger self, not just anyone, to, to you as a, uh, in your younger years? Um, I think the, the advice I'd probably give myself is um, it's going to be okay um, because I was really worried for a long time that it wasn't going to be okay. Um, you know, I worked very, very hard and I didn't seem to be getting anywhere and things did seem dark. You know, I went through some depressions, some very difficult times. Um, and, you know, moving over to the States, I was by myself, you know, very lonely. It can be very lonely. Um, and it's all okay now. You know, I've got a, a beautiful wife, fantastic kids, an incredible business partner, a wonderful team here, a really exciting company. Um, I, I present on a regular basis to audiences that are interested and engaged in what I'm saying. And so it was all worth it. You know, it, you sort of have to like that. go through the difficult times to really learn about yourself. And I did that, I think. And I, and now I can say that it's okay. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I guess like, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but my, my next question um, is about the top three qualities um, that you value most when, when building a team. Top three qualities. Well, integrity is important. Um, uh, that's critical. You've, you know, you've, you've got to be trustworthy. You've got to have a very strong moral compass. Mm -hmm. um, um, 
to work with me. Um, I find that that's very lacking in a lot of people, uh, unfortunately, but I've met some incredible people that that is truthful. So integrity, uh, passion is important. You've got to have passion, um, but by the bucket loads. And, you know, I, I hear people often um, criticize homeless people um, for not, not trying hard enough and, you know, and, and giving up and everything. But, you know, passion is something that you're kind of born with. It's, it's an energy source that you can't necessarily control. And so I'm very fortunate in that regard that I was born with passion and that I just couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop myself asking more questions, reading an encyclopedia from front to back and, and, and studying and, and working hard and always questioning nature and everything. So passion is something I was lucky to have and there are people who are, are not as fortunate. They don't have that passion and I feel for them and I hope there's something in the future I can do to help them. I, you know, there are people in, in jails right now who have made poor choices because they've not had any other options available to them. And so one of the things I wanna do is reach out to people in jail who are in prisons who are interested in biology and try to give them a new spin on biology, try to make them excited and give them that passion wow. that they maybe weren't born with. So, so passion is critical. Um, I would say adaptability. One more. I think those two are incredible and clearly match up with your own um, characteristics. Push you for one more on, on that. Yeah, adaptability. Um, you've got to be able to adapt uh, to your environment. If you can't adapt to your environment and you can't um, uh, create a new space for yourself, then you're toast. Uh, you've got to be able to be malleable, um, you may think that your career is going in one direction. Uh, you may be able to see a pipe up there on the oh, yeah. pipe. So that pipe um, came from um, a book I read by Sinclair Lewis called Arrowsmith that really inspired me to go into graduate school. And um, long story short, basically the, the character there had a, had a lab, a bacteriology lab um, in the 50s. Um, and he would they would sit in their lab and smoke um, and, and you know, late at night and come up with these great ideas for experiments. And I always had that romantic idea that I would be a professor in my own lab, smoking a pipe and, <laughs> and doing, and, and, you know, and, and I worked at that very, very, for a very long time until I realized that that maybe wasn't my trajectory. Um, it got me to a certain point, but now I needed to be um, adaptable and I had to change my trajectory slightly towards what I'm doing now. And so that pipe is up there as a reminder um, that I that I've succeeded in what I've set out to do, but it's just in a different uh, way. I like that. I like that. Reframing it. Reframing it. Yeah. Okay. My, my next quick fire question, and that is, what is the number one book or resource that you would perhaps recommend for our audience? Well, uh, I don't know about a particular book. I mean, it's really important to read. I, I haven't really read for fun for a long time, but it's very important to read books for fun because it really opens up your mind to a lot of new ideas that you might not have had. So there's not one particular book, but maybe a resource. Um, just yesterday, I was telling my team about uh, TED Talks and how valuable TED Talks are mm. because they are not only a resource for information, but they really inspire you to think critically and think differently than everybody else. And so I think by watching TED Talks, you really change how you think and i think that really helps in business uh, especially for scientists that are trying to transition because they're so rigid um ted talks really help you sort of break that mold and become more 
um, you know, liquid in your thoughts. And, and I agree. I, um, I do love a good TED talk. I, I do. Get stuck yeah. in, I end up going from one to the other. You, so. you can't stop once you start there. And you know, I watched one on uh, American Sign Language the other day, and I I was scrolling through, and it, I just happened to click on it, not expecting to watch it, and I just couldn't take my eyes off. It was just fascinating, just this individual how they communicated. And for us, communication is critical. It's important to be able to crit uh, uh, to communicate our science and what we're doing. And these uh, speakers um, during TED talks communicate wonderfully and it's such a, um, a a source of education just to hear them present a, a narrative uh, i really recommend people spend some time on on the ted talk website fantastic and look what is your number one favorite thing outside of work oh, that's easy family definitely family you know seeing uh, my family back in england going to the pubs and i really miss the pubs in england uh, I, 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 a nice ale is something I really enjoy. Uh, right. My kids are a source of um, incredible joy. Um, you know, without you know my kids, I, I I don't know if I'd have the energy uh, at this age to really uh, keep going. But um, my, my my family is is uh, is my passion. Um, but you know, being creative, you know, writing screenwriting, I'd love to get into the movie making business um, if time allows and resources allow. That's a way that I would really like to spend some time. There's always time, Ian. There's always time. You just don't know. Look, uh, to close the show then, look, finally, what is your number one golden rule for life and in business? Um, just be a good person, I think. Um, so you know, put, the, put good energy out into the universe. I mean, you know, as a scientist, we're not supposed to be very spiritual or anything. This doesn't require necessarily being spiritual, but you know we are energetic beings. The whole universe is created uh, out of energy. Um, you know, cells are made out of um, atoms, and atoms are energy. And um, you know, just create good energy, good vibes, uh, whatever that means to you. Um, just be good to people. That's a good place to start, and you'll find that people are good to you. Fantastic. Well, Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I, I certainly wasn't expecting us to go in all sorts of <laughs> directions. I'm also grinning from ear to ear. I'm just grinning from ear to ear. I could listen to you all day, Ian, to be honest. And, um, you know, if, if ever you want to do a TED Talk, I don't know where you'd start, to be honest, because you've got that many different different <laughs> topics that you could cover. 20 minutes. I know. So, <laughs> maybe, you'd maybe you could have a whole series for yourself. <laughs> Well, we do have some uh, podcasts out there. I've been interviewed recently on a few different podcasts where I talk about, you know, hacking pregnancy and a few other things. So uh, if you guys are interested to hear some sort of uh, off the wall ideas um, as a tangent to what we've been talking about, there's, there's some resources out there that I would uh, recommend. We'll, we'll definitely hook up the, the links onto when, when we put this out. We'll get the links on there. Uh, make sure that there's a link to your profile on LinkedIn and the other um I guess videos that are, are, are on YouTube or online, we'll make sure that we get those hooked up for you. Uh, but look, Ian, once again, thank you very much for, for coming on the Huxley Morton podcast. Pleasure having you. Uh, and we'll let you get on with the rest of your day. Well, it's my pleasure, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Uh, I, I did enjoy this uh, a lot. Uh, great meeting you both. And I, I hope at some point we can get a beer together uh, next time I'm in England, perhaps. Sounds well, amazing. I absolutely guarantee that. You you just right, you just give me give me the call and I'm there. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. It's been an absolute pleasure.